the adoption has been very solid and the feedback from the community is telling me, I used to hate Redux and Redux Toolkit made me love it again. Or, you know, I, I just migrated our code from plain Redux to Redux Toolkit and I cut the number of lines of code in half and so on. So that very, very enthusiastic, positive response tells me we're headed in the right direction. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode of JS Party is brought to you by Rollbar. Deploy with confidence more often. Spend less time worrying and more time on improving your code. You can feel safe knowing every error is reported in real time with Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live each and every Thursday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. Join in on the hijinks at changelog.com slash community. It's totally free and we have a lot of fun. So come hang with us. Be silly. Talk JavaScript. What's not to love, right? This episode's a good one. So let's get right into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Guess what time it is, friends? It is JS party time once again. My name is Jared Santo. I'm your internet friend, and I am joined by my internet friend, Amel Hussein. What's up, Amel? Hey, everybody. And we have a very special guest here to talk about Redux, Redux Toolkit. And I hear rumors of Redux's demise are greatly exaggerated. We're joined by Redux maintainer, Mark Erickson. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hi, very glad to be here. We are glad to have you. It blows my mind, Amel has just informed me, that Redux has been around for over five years now. It's crazy to me. I mean, that's like 30 in internet library dog years. Absolutely, and it's still alive and kicking, and you are now maintaining this. Can you uh, introduce yourself insofar as how you came to be here on JS Party today in terms of Redux's history? How did you get involved with the project and become the maintainer of this very popular library? Sure. Uh, so Redux, as, as most people know, was originally created by Dan Abramov and Andrew Clark in the summer of 2015. And I was actually just getting started learning React myself right about that same time. And I was reading blog posts and hanging out in chat channels. And I'd seen some other Flux-like libraries being discussed at the time. And this Redux thing kept popping up. I started reading about it a bit. Other people were asking questions about it. And I, I kind of kept seeing the same questions popping up everywhere, like Stack Overflow and Reddit and you know the, the Reactive Flux chat channels and whatnot. And I think it was around January 2016, I actually kind of half volunteered to write an FAQ page for Redux based on all the stuff that I've been seeing asked. And I did it. And Danny Abramov gave me commit rights to the repo after that. Uh, spent the next few months just sort of helping triage issues and tweak the docs some. And about that time, Dan got hired on to work on the React team at Facebook. And he messaged myself and another guy named Tim Dore and basically said, hey, congratulations, here are the maintainers now, here are the keys, have fun. And 
it actually took me a little while to really feel like I actually had any permission to have an opinion on what the code itself should be like, but it kind of became my thing after that. Hmm. Yeah. And now Mark is actually, again, being very humble uh, because in addition to kind of really taking, just having a lot of really great leadership over this incredibly important project for our ecosystem, because Redux has, has, although it kind of maybe was popularized in the, via the React community, uh, via, because it was, um, uh, I think the most popular implementation of the Flux architecture, it, it really grew legs and, you know, it, it kind of quickly got adopted with lots of other communities. And I think what Mark has really done a, a great job of doing is I think practicing, I would say, uh, resistance. And, and, and you're, you might be wondering, what is resistance? Well, resistance. he's practicing resistance. Yeah, because he's he's resisted the urge to change Redux, right? It's like it's had such a small footprint and the API has really been fairly consistent over many, many years. Um, and, you know, of course, like the wonderful thing about Redux is, you know, it has this wonderful pluggable architecture. And so there's this just vast ecosystem within Redux that's just incredible. I mean, how many packages are like Redux plugins, uh, Mark? There's like hundreds, right? Yeah, like for a while, I was keeping up a, a running catalog of basically every Redux-related library and add-on that I could find. And that got up to about, probably about 2,000 different packages <laughs> before I I just had to stop adding to that list because I needed to focus on other things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to say that it had legs is, is, is being, you know, I, maybe even uh, like it's, uh, it's an understatement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I think one of the things I really kind of want to take a shout out, uh, take, take a minute to kind of shout out Mark for is the fact that he is kind of this, um, I would say tech support for the React community at large. Uh, that's the best way to put him. Like he, you know, uh, Reactive Flux is a wonderful community that we'll link to in the show notes. Um, it's a Discord server where you can, you know, uh, there's different channels on different kind of uh, popular React frameworks, libraries, or just, you know, areas of expertise. Um, and and Mark really is very active there, answering questions, and he's very patient because he's answered the same questions like multiple times again and again and again and again and again. Like he's been answering the same questions, like as this community grows and we ha- you have all these newcomers entering the community, Mark is just patiently like, he's not even like linking them to the answer anymore. He's just like answering the same questions. And I just really want to thank you for that, Mark, because you're such a good custodian and teacher and you're so patient and we're just really lucky to have you. And I just wanted to say thanks, you know, for everything you do really. I will freely admit that I have a number of pre-written answers that I routinely copy paste. There you go. In response to these questions, text expansion. Okay, so now we, now we know the secret. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, do you feel like your what Mel's saying rings true? I know you're, you want to be humble, but do you feel like you've been like tech support for the React community. I mean, that's a that's a big role. In, in a lot of ways, yeah. I've not act, not entirely jokingly said that I answer questions about React and Redux like literally everywhere. There's a comment box on the internet. Um, and it, it it is a very significant portion of my free time at this point. And it's I I like answering questions almost too much. Like there's been times when I've seen someone ask a question that I know the answer to, and I've actually kind of had to restrain myself from taking the time to answer it. It's like just because a question exists doesn't mean I have to take the time <laughs> to answer it myself personally right now. Right. That's amazing. It's just amazing that you want to do that because most of us can't be bothered. It's like, oh, another question. Like, you know, 
RTFM dudes. But like you want, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that's tip, that's the typical yeah, response. RTFM. But like you're it like, is. no, I am the manual. Here, here's the, you know, I already read the manual. Let me tell you what it says. It's amazing. Well, I actually just saw a really, really good blog post just yesterday. I was just going to talk about it. I just I retweeted that tweet. Yep. That was amazing. Such a good blog post. A blog post from Ned Batchelder, who has been very active in the Python community. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a bunch of good posts over the years about how to ask a good question. You know, Stack Overflow has their guidance, you know, minimal, runnable example and all that kind of stuff. But this was actually a post that tries to give guidelines on how to best answer questions online. Like try and be positive in the way you say in the the way you respond. Don't you know focus on their question instead of you know sniping about the formatting or other stuff. A lot of really, really good advice in that post. Yeah, we'll definitely I read that one as well. I thought it was spectacular. We'll link that one up for sure. Real quick, Mark, just in the spirit of inclusion and accessibility, we know Redux has been around for a very long time and since you answer all the questions about it. Uh, there are probably people listening who are like they're just coming to JavaScript or they're just like JS curious and maybe they don't know what Redux is. So can you do a Redux 101 for us and just kind of like lay the groundwork so we can build a conversation around it? Sure. So Facebook announced React publicly in 2013. And at the time, there were a lot of very like object-oriented approaches to managing data in web applications like Backbone. And in 2014, Facebook announced a pattern that they had come up with internally, which they called the Flux Architecture. And the idea was to simplify the data flow patterns within an app by kind of centralizing where, when, and how your state can actually get updated. Rather than having a bunch of object models that can trigger events all over the place, the rest of the application calls a central object called a dispatcher and passes in an object that describes some event that happened in the app. And that object is called an action. And so over the next year, dozens of different Flux libraries came out across the ecosystem, experimenting with this pattern in different ways. And in mid-2015, Dan Abramov, uh, who had picked up a bit of notoriety in the React ecosystem for some of the other things he'd worked on, started creating his own Flux-related library called Redux for a conference talk. And that library very quickly took off, far more than he ever thought it would, and it basically killed off all the other Flux libraries. Uh, I refer to it as it kind of won the Flux wars. And it basically is now the only largely used implementation of the Flux architecture. So the idea is that you write all of your state updating code in functions called reducers, which look at the existing state and some action object that describes something that happened, like user clicked a button or fetched some data from the server. And the reducer then decides what the new state should be in response. And so the rest of the application is not allowed to just modify the existing state. Instead, it has to say, here's a thing that happened, and it calls store.dispatch, where the store contains a single global set of data that all of the app can refer to. So there's a deliberate level of indirection here compared to just saying, you know, my object.value equals one, two, three. But there's a lot of value in trying to centralize some of this management, as well as separating the process of what happened in the app from how does my state update 
in the application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, this this kind of shift of like PubSub, bringing PubSub and one-way data flow into front-end applications was just like game-changing, right? Because you, you know, previously event and state management inside of front-end apps was just like a nightmare. It was this like Rube Goldberg, there was no real organization right. or, chaos, or, or, or no, no organization, no direction, no nothing, right? Um, it's one of the reasons why I, I personally think like two-way binding in Angular was also popularized because I think it just took away some of the <laughs> headaches around event and state management, you know, where For you sure. just were like, just link to the thing, you know, <laughs> real time. Exactly. Yeah. So Redux is and was just really amazing uh, in, in, in all of the benefits that it brought. But there was also kind of pain points around uh, adoption, you know, I think if you can kind of, do you mind maybe kind of speaking to some of that? Because I think that's a really good segue into why Redux Toolkit was created. Uh, It was to to kind of address some of the pain points around using Redux. Sure. So really since its inception, Redux has been known for requiring you to write a fair amount of boilerplate code in some form. Dan Abramov tweeted, back in 2015 to the effect that Flux and Redux were never intended to be the shortest way to write code. They were intended to make it very straightforward and clear to understand when, where, why, and how your state is changing throughout the app. And if you look at the Redux docs, there is a page called Reducing Boilerplate. And that page has been in there since, if you check the history, late 2015, like right after Dan was writing the original docs. And it it shows some patterns for some little abstractions that you can create yourself for common use cases. And as Redux got a lot more popular and a lot of people were adopting it either deliberately or because someone else told them to, that refrain of Redux requires a lot of boilerplate has been a, a very, very constant theme. And we, we mentioned like the number of packages that the, the community has come up with, and a lot of those were trying to solve the same kinds of problems, but everyone was just making their own little version of various utilities, and you kept seeing the same patterns repeated over and over. And there are some other pain points, like Redux was built to be extensible, but because of that, the core library includes almost nothing built in. Um, Even the most common approach for writing async logic was broken out into a separate package called Redux Thunk. And it's only like 12 lines of code, but the idea was we're not going to force you to have to use this one approach in case you want to do something else, and, and a lot of other people do. Along with that, the process, because there's all these different ways you could set things up, the code that you have to write to configure and set up a Redux store involves a number of steps. And granted, you only have to do that once per application, but frankly, it was annoying to have to write that every time you started a new app. So these were all very common pain points that people pointed to as reasons why Redux was hard to use or or they didn't like it. And even as far back as 2017, I had filed a discussion issue asking, what are some ways that we can offer some better built-in abstractions, make it easier to use Redux, make it easier to teach Redux? And it, it took a while for some of these ideas to kind of percolate through the system. But where we ended up is that in, in late 18, early 19, uh, we began working on an official package that we originally dubbed Redux Starter Kit. And 
the idea was we would add some official utilities for these most common use cases of things like setting up the store, writing reducers, action creators, action types, and trying to handle immutable updates in a way that's easier to read and write. So we officially published that uh, as 1.0 in last October. And right about that same time, people were also pointing out to us that the name Starter Kit had its own issues. Like people assumed that it was either a pre-built boilerplate that you were supposed to clone, or it was only good when you were setting up a project, or it was only good for people who were beginners and had never used Redux before. And none of those was true. So we ended up renaming it to Redux Toolkit. I, I think I was in that camp, by the way. <laughs> I was in the camp of like, uh, this is like a training wheels. I don't need this, you know. Mm. I'm a pro. <laughs> like, I was in that camp for the record. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just assumed that it was just for newbies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the intent was that it should be helpful for both people who are starting with Redux, but also experts who have written lots of Redux code. So we officially named it to Redux Toolkit and switched to a different package name, at RedexJS slash Toolkit on NPM. And it's working out wonderfully. We are now officially recommending it as the way to write Redux code. You can still write code by hand if you want to, but the point is you don't have to, and we're no longer teaching that you should do that. And the if you look at the downloads rate, it's just a very, very steady growth on a nice, well, straight line angled upwards. Uh, I think it actually just broke the 50,000 downloads a day mark on a, on a consistent basis. So it, it's still nowhere close to the actual downloads of the core Redux package, but the adoption has been very solid. And the feedback from the community is telling me that, you know, I... I used to hate Redux, and Redux Toolkit made me love it again. Or, you know, I, I just migrated our code from plain Redux to Redux Toolkit, and I cut the number of lines of code in half, and, and so on. So that very, very enthusiastic, positive response tells me we're headed in the right direction. That sounds great. We're going to dive deep into Redux Toolkit after the break. Before that, I want to throw a bit of a curveball at you here. Uh-oh. You are a maintainer of these things, and so you came into a project and you said, let's improve what currently exists. Dan wrote the library in such a way that it was modular and really unopinionated because it can Very be used so. in all these different ways. And that caused this particular challenge that you tried to fix. If you were going to go back and write it yourself, like, do you think he made the right choices that he made then? Or would you have more training wheels built in or more opinions? Or do you think the modularity and the, the generality of it made it successful? I, I think given the constraints and the design goals at that point in time, in the summer of 2015, Dan and Andrew made some amazingly good design choices in a two-month span that worked out amazingly well. Now, given what we now know and how we saw... Like, Redux Toolkit could not have been created if we hadn't seen the thousands of other packages that people created, the patterns that people were working with, the problems they were trying to solve the pain points they were running into, and especially if a particular package called Immer hadn't been created. So a quick explanation of that. Redux requires that you write your updates immutably, which means you always have to make copies of objects and update the copies rather than modifying the originals. 
And writing immutable update code in JavaScript is a royal pain because you end up having to do lots of nested object spread operators and concat and map your arrays. And it's really long and it's very verbose and hard to read and really easy to make mistakes. And the number one mistake that I see people making with Redux has been accidentally mutating their state either in or out of the reducer functions. Meanwhile, uh, Michelle Westray, the creator of the MobX library, made a, a separate package called Immer, which uses JavaScript proxies to wrap some data, and you provide a callback function that receives a draft object that looks like your original data, but it's actually been wrapped in a proxy. And you can actually write mutating code like state.value equals one, two, three inside of the callback. Immer tracks the attempted changes and internally converts them into safe immutable updates so that the return result of this function is a new immutably updated object as if you'd written all that spread operator code by hand yourself. And so Redux Toolkit was built around using Immer from the very first prototype that I wrote. And while we could have written some of the other utilities well earlier, using Emmer really is of core to how Redux Toolkit works and one of the key ways that it makes it a lot easier to write your Redux logic. Right. So to go back and answer, answer your question, there's probably a few things that Dan and Andrew could have done differently, like, say, at least including the Thunk package out of the box so you don't have to install a separate library. But given what they were aiming for and the constraints at the time... It was, frankly, a brilliant design. What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Air and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify issues across web and mobile apps, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to Raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, Raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. So Mark, that was that was really a, a wonderful backstory into the reasons behind Redux Toolkit's creation. Um, kind of going back to the problems of Redux, right? I, I think with trying to serve the JavaScript community, you're always trying to serve like the widest base possible, right? Because JavaScript is like so ubiquitous. Everybody's always writing JavaScript. The Java devs are writing JavaScript. Python devs are writing JavaScript. Or maybe I should say Java devs are attempting to write JavaScript. You know? Cheap <laughs> like, oh, shot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just saying, you know, sometimes, you know, JavaScript's accessibility lends to problems of foot gunning, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so like it appeals to so many people, but then obviously like, there were certain things around boilerplate, for example, that 
was a problem, but but quite frankly, like that was part of the design uh, in the sense that from my understanding, Dan Abramov's was really trying to achieve something that was greppable. And so to kind of coin the term grep factor, right? The grep factor of Redux is high because you have this like constant action creator and you just grep for it and you can see everywhere it's being used. So you can very easily just grep your code and just see where this one action is like, how it's being traced throughout your source code. And for me, that's like just huge, especially in terms of like the readability, maintainability, right? Uh, and I'm always kind of one to kind of err on the side of being a little more verbose because for code that's like supposed to be maintained by multiple people over many years. And so I'd rather have more readable code than like short abstracted code. And so my question is like with Redux Toolkit, you've built these abstractions, but like what have we lost uh, for power users or for people who want more of that like grep factor? And then also more so like for, for, from reading the docs, we have abstractions, but we also have like more power right? Like things like Emmer also like they bring a lot more to the table outside of the, like right out the gate than previously. And so can you kind of just speak to this dichotomy of like giving people a jetpack, but then also giving them like guardrails, you know? Sure. So the Redux core, like literally the, the library and the functions themselves are, are so minimal that you can use them in lots of different ways. And that this has been both a, a strength and a weakness. And I actually wrote uh, two very long blog posts that talked about the intent behind Redux's design, what the library literally requires you to do in terms of how you write your code, but then why a lot of common usage patterns actually exist. Uh, I, I dubbed these posts the Tau of Redux, part one, implementation and intent, and part two, practice and philosophy. And let's look at one of the common examples. So one of the most common complaints about boilerplate is, I have to write my action types and my reducer code in my action creator functions in separate files, and I have to write my action types as const variables where both the name of the variable and the text of the string are all uppercase, you know, or screaming snake case capitalization. The Redux library actually requires none of that. It doesn't care about your folder structure. It doesn't care whether you've defined your action types as const variables or written them in line. It doesn't care whether they're cased, uppercase, lowercase, dashes, whatever. But these are all common conventions that existed and were shown in the docs for a reason. As developers, we often put code of different types into different files or different areas of the code base. So let's split up our action creator functions, which aren't required, but are a common pattern, from our reducer functions, which are definitely required. Okay, they, they both need to refer to the same action type strings. Well, we don't want to, <laughs> to copy paste the strings in multiple places because maybe you make a typo or something. So you want to define it in one place. Or maybe you want to reuse it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's define those as variables. And if the variable is needed by two other files, then it needs to be in its own file. And it, like, there's a very logical train of thought for why these patterns exist. But at the same time, the default patterns that were always shown in the docs did tend towards some very verbose examples. And I've, I've seen Dan say that he didn't necessarily think people would actually write code the way it was shown in the docs. And as, as much as I love Dan, I think that was maybe a slightly naive 
opinion yeah. because of course people are going to do what you showed but people also us. love dan like let's be real so oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. if people people if dan published his like food and like music and like clothing schedule or like whatever i think people would just do it they would just like like npm install dan abramov like i think he's got a very serious fan club you know you think he has a clothing schedule omel or like yeah like <laughs> what, what i wear this on monday and, oh or his uh or his like uh, the brands that he wears i just thought i was like oh it's 8 30 a.m better put on my pants he's got a following yeah. That too. I mean, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest though. These these days, it's like Monday, Tuesday, any day. Yeah. Like you know, any day is a pants free day these days. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of which, actually, uh, I don't know about you though, but you said that you put your code in different files. Like I I, I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I don't kidding. do that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't do that. I just put it all in one file called bundle.js. <laughs> yeah, I'm a minimalist. All my code goes in one file. Across multiple yeah, projects, exactly. yeah, even different languages, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's all one file. Yeah, you just use namespaces and ifies, you know. <laughs> Anyways, so I mean, the the thing is, like the the docs showed a pattern of organizing your different types of code into different files, and then organizing those files into folders by type. So you have a reducers folder, actions folder, constants folder, etc. A guy named Eric Rasmussen actually came up with a pattern for putting all the logic for a given feature into one file, which he named the Ducks pattern. And so like a, a small segment of the Redux community adopted it, but we didn't officially suggest it. I, and I always had a couple concerns about it, particularly about how it kind of suggests <laughs> that only one reducer can ever handle an action of a given type, when really the intent was any reducer can respond to any action. So given that these are specific pain points that people talked about, how does Redux Toolkit try to address them? So the docs say that I created Redux Toolkit really to solve three different problems. It's too hard to set up a store. You have to add a bunch of extra packages to do anything useful, like Redux Thunk and Reselect and whatnot. And it requires too much boilerplate code. So item one, Redux Toolkit has a function called configure store that is a one-line call. You provide either the reducer function you've already built yourself or the slice reducers for the different features, and it will assemble them itself. It automatically sets up the Redux DevTools browser extension setup that is needed, and it automatically adds the Redux Thunk middleware, and in development mode, a couple of dev check middleware that will throw errors if you do things like accidentally mutate any state in the store. So protecting against by far the most common mistake that people make when using Redux. Uh, from there, there's a couple utilities like create action, which generates action creators based on a given type string, and create reducer, which allows you to define reducers using an object lookup table syntax rather than a switch statement, because for some reason, a lot of people really hate switch statements. And Create Reducer also uses this Immer library inside to let you write what looks like mutating syntax in your reducers, but it's actually turned into safe, correct, immutable updates internally. So from there, we have an API called Create Slice. And we've traditionally used the word slice to refer to the reducer for a single part of your Redux state. So for example, if I have a blogging app, with state.users, state.posts, 
and state.comments, the user's reducer and the user's actions represent a slice of your state. So create slice builds on create action and create reducer. You give it a set of reducer functions in an object and you give them meaningful names. Like, you know, giving the classic to-do app example. So, you know, to-do added, you know, to-do toggled, you know, you know, change filter, stuff like that. And it automatically generates the action creators and the action types internally based on the names of the reducer functions that you provided. And this actually gets to that greppability factor that you were asking about earlier. Mm. So one of the advantages of having all those action types as constant variables in the code base was that you could look at the Redux dev tools and see, okay, I dispatched the uppercase add underscore to do action type, and now I can control shift F, search the whole code base textually for uses of that action type. Well, we're actually now recommending that people use a naming pattern where the string is lower camel cased and you, you define it as like domain slash event name. So for example, maybe the domain is to-dos slash to-do added rather than like upper, upper screaming snake case add to-do. Mm-hmm. That feels very like RPC. It's like with a shift from REST to RPC, like, you know, or just like event, you know, um, it's it's a very similar to like GraphQL, right? Like mm-hmm. it's GraphQL is just, it lets you kind of structure your, uh, the data that you get from the server in, in an events like driven way, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to resource driven. And so this kind of feels a little more in line with that. I like the idea of like using domain and then action you know, as, as, as kind of one thing for your action type. Yeah, and, and I've, I've seen a lot of different naming conventions, like the Angular, the NGRX folks actually use like square brackets, domain, space, like an actual sentence describing things. So in this case, we picked a new convention and we're encouraging it and Redux Toolkit uses that convention internally, but create slice generates that action type string based on a string name that you provide for the slice, like quote to-dos, and and then it just concatenates that with the name of the reducer function that you provided, like to-do added. So if I look at the dev tools and I see a to-dos slash to-do added action type, I should still be able to grep for the to-do added name and find the exact reducer function in the code base that resulted in that action type being generated. But the nice thing is action type strings are almost now an implementation detail. You no longer have to write them in your code. You don't refer to the action type anywhere. It's just the string that shows up in the dev tools when you're looking at the history of the actions. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's very interesting that you've even included APIs like the adapter. What's it called? Entity adapt? Create uh, entity create adapter. Yeah. Entity adapter. Yeah, like, can you tell us about that one? Like, what, sure. what is that meant to, what problem is that solving? So after writing the Redux FAQ in the spring of 2016, I followed that with a recipes section called structuring reducers, which gives some guidelines on things like like, why do we split up reducer logic into multiple functions? What are some ways that you can organize that reducer logic? 
And one of the patterns that I'd seen being used just in the first year of Redux's existence was this idea of normalizing your state, which generally has two aspects of it. One is that you don't want to have duplicate copies of data being kept in the store. If we go back to that blogging example, so we've got users, posts, and comments, every post probably has the user who created it. And if we fetch that data from the server, every post object might have a separate copy of the user's object nested inside. We don't want to store you know, 50 copies of the user object in the Redux state. We just want to have one copy of the object per each user. And there's a lot of cases where we want to be able to find a given user, a given post, a given comment by their ID. So normalizing state generally implies that you're going to store things as a lookup table where the keys are the IDs and the values are the items themselves rather than storing them as an array. And so I wrote a docs page called normalizing state shape that describes what this pattern is and specifically suggests it as a good idea. Despite that, we never included anything in the Redux library itself that ever helped you with the process of normalizing state in any way. There was a very popular library that's been used with Redux called Normalizer, which I think Dan either started or helped maintain for a while. There's also a library called Redux ORM, which provides kind of like a class model-like facade over the plain data in your Redux store. And I did use that on one of my projects. But there was no, nothing built into the core library itself. So after we'd built out the initial APIs for Redux Toolkit, earlier this year, I was starting to think about that idea of normalization as a problem space that we ought to supply something to help with. And so I was looking over various packages and you know, third-party libraries that other people had created that help with that in some way. And I ran across something that the NGRX store people had created. So NGRX is basically a re-implementation of Redux for the Angular ecosystem built around the RxJS package. And because of that, there, there's a lot of overlap in the kinds of things that both Redux and NGRX do. And the NGRX maintainers had created a, an add-on called Create Entity Adapter, which basically it provides a set of pre-built reducer functions for things like add one, add many, set all, upsert one, remove all, etc. Like you know, the, the typical CRUD type operations you would do on a set of data. And I looked at it, I'm like, you know what? This, this package only has like one or two references to NGRX at all. It's almost library agnostic. Is there any way we could like make this reusable so we could start using it with Redux Toolkit? And they started looking at it and I started playing around with it myself and I ended up actually kind of porting it over and half rewriting it. I, mm. I added the use of Emmer inside. Um, the arguments for their functions were in the update comma state order instead of state comma update. So I switched them around so we could actually use them as reducer functions. So ultimately I ended up porting it, but none of that would have existed if the NGRX folks hadn't created it in the first place. 
And it's really cool to see that cross-pollination of ideas going back and forth because mm-hmm. NGRX was inspired by Redux. Our Create Entity Adapter was a port of theirs. So it allows you to skip having to write reducer logic in a lot of cases for the most kind, common kinds of update scenarios that you might be dealing with when dealing with a collection of some items. And you can either use them as the entire reducer function for a given action type, or you can use them as helpers within a larger reducer function as part of the logic that you're writing. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, so uh, I love how, like, you're just like this uber nerd about, like, everything, uh, yeah. uh, Mark. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but no, so so there's so many interesting points there. Just I, um, one is a really good segue into what we're going to get into next, which is really, like, not only the ecosystem, but more specifically, like state management as a whole inside of front end applications mm. and like the age old debate of like when to use what, right? Local state versus application state versus, you know, and the, uh, da- um, then there's the whole da- data management and fetching and Apollo client. And like there's so many kind of, I would say, um, new things in the ecosystem, uh, specifically even just React, right? React has some interesting new APIs with like reducer, uh, like the reducer hook and it's just very cool stuff. So um, we'll get into that next, but just really quickly, I I wanted to say that one of the things that a lot of people complain about, so we talked about like the three reasons being, okay, uh, configuring a Redux store is too complicated. Um, the second thing being, I have to add a lot of Redux packages to get Redux to do anything useful. And the third complaint being Redux requires too much boiler, like too much boilerplate code. I would say all of those things speak to my nerd heart in the sense that like, I feel very attacked when I read that. Um, because (laughs) for me, it's like, I, I just love the open architecture of Redux, right? The like Linux, it, like the fact that it's stood this long and is still relevant. It just goes to show it's the open architecture that and the clean architecture that it has that uses plugins, et cetera. Like that's why it's stood the test of time. And, you know, for me, like the most fun part of setting up any new project when I had, when I um, set up my Redux stores and everything, it's, 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 it's adding all of those packages. And, and for me, like, I love the fact that I know exactly what's going into Redux. Every time I configure my applications, like depending on what it needs, it's a little different, you know, and I, it, one size definitely never fits all. Right. And I get that people have, you know, okay, there's this baseline of packages that everybody always wants. So let's just, let's just ship Redux toolkit with, with it. But I have to say, like, I do, like, there's a nice beauty to just building your own ecosystem, you know, very much like Minecraft or very much like Node.js, right? Where you're just importing all of your modules because you want them and you, you know exactly what's going into your, into your lasagna, right? Like, yeah. so, you know. Yeah. The lasagna factor is, is, yeah, the one that I'm sad about losing. But you can still add things with Redux Toolkit. Yep. Yeah, it, it doesn't take anything away in terms of the ability of how you can configure your store. You're still saying, here's the reducer that I want. It adds some middleware by default, but you can choose to insert additional middleware or just drop the defaults and say, exactly here's, here's exactly the ones that I want. You can still add store enhancers, various kinds. So it's everything you could do with create store already, but it's actually got an easier API because you know create store takes three positional arguments of the reducer, the initial state, and the one and only store enhancer, 
which means that you are responsible for combining together, say, apply middleware and DevTools enhancer into a single composed enhancer yourself and passing them positionally. Whereas configure store has an object-based options argument. And you say, here's the reducer, here's an array of middleware, here's an array of enhancers, here's an option straight up front for turn on the dev tools, yes or no. And even that right there makes it easier to see what's going on with how you set it up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Redux definitely not dead yet. And we're going to hear a lot more about when to use what and why uh, in the next segment. What's up, party people? I want to introduce AWS Amplify as a new sponsor here at JS Party. Amplify is a suite of tools and services that enable developers to build full-stack, serverless, and cloud-based web and mobile apps using their framework and tech of choice. Amplify is built to make front-enders successful because you can use your existing skill set to build full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. Amplify simplifies all of that. Amplify gives you easy access to hosting, authentication, managed GraphQL, serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Check the link in the show notes for details or head to awsamplify.info slash dsparty. Again, awsamplify.info slash dsparty. So in the spirit of making your own lasagna, maybe you follow a recipe, but the stuff that Amel was talking about where, you know, she's a redux junkie and she wants to do it the way that she does it. And she loves to twiddle the bits and configure it just so. Is it advisable, Mark, to use Redux Toolkit in a recipe style reference? So like what I used to do back in the day was with HTML5 Boilerplate. I'm not sure if you guys remember that awesome project from Paul Irish and the gang, is I would never actually use the Boilerplate code. I would generate the boilerplate code and then I would stare at it as I wrote my own and just picked and choose what I liked and what I thought was good. And I just discarded the rest. Could you use this project that way and not actually install it itself, but just use Redux and maybe pick and choose and use it as like a best practices guide, but not the code? Or is it better just to use the code and go from there? So Redux Toolkit is a set of distinct API functions, right? Um, each each one for a different purpose. Configure store, create action, reducer, slice, uh, create async thunk, and create entity entity adapter, um, as well as including the reselect create selector API out of the box, and we use it with create an entity adapter. And we certainly suggest that you should be using all of them as the default approaches in your Redux application, but they are all pick and choose your own adventure. Okay. So certainly there's a lot of benefit from using create store or configure store to set up your store, catch accidental mutations, et cetera. Um, and I, I personally would say that should be the first thing you should do when either setting up a new Redux project or starting to migrate an existing one, but nothing says you have to. Uh, and you can really migrate an existing app to Redux Toolkit very incrementally. So say you've got a large existing Redux app 
and you want to start using a Redux toolkit. So you swap out your store setup code for configure store once. You pick a reducer and the associated action types. You replace them with a call to create slice. You swap out hooking up the reducer function and dispatching those actions. All the rest of the existing code works just fine as is. And then you just keep migrating one reducer and its related actions at a time. Actually, Mark, that brings me to a question. Like, is there a diff out there that is like viewable to the public where it's like, here's an actual app that used Redux and here's the commit diff to like use Redux toolkit. And like, here's all the like, oh, that'd be awesome. plus like, here's all the negative, like, you know, lines of code removed or whatever. Like, I'm just curious, is that something that's available somewhere on the interwebs? Mm-hmm. So in fact, when I wrote a set of tutorials for the Redux toolkit.org or j.js.org docs, I actually did exactly that with what I dubbed the intermediate tutorial. So it takes the standard Redux to-do app with React example that has you know your object spread operators and the reducers and stuff, and it shows how to incrementally migrate it over to use Redux Toolkit. Now, granted, this is not a large app, and so it's not like there's going to be huge, huge diffs, but it does show how to migrate. And in fact, I did set it up in a way that there is an example repo, and I, I literally did link to specific commits throughout the tutorial demonstrating the step-by-step process of migrating over. Nice. That's awesome. We'll have to link that in the show notes. That sounds great. And the reason why I asked that is because I think, you know, I, I, I feel like as much as, like, I, I love tutorials that are, like, very granular and, like, you know, kind of go through things step-by-step. But I think when developers are learning something new from something old, right, that, like, mental map that they need to do, um, it's just so much nicer to look at the diffs, you know, yeah. in like a real project. Like here's like how it worked here and now here's the diff, you know, and then I think it's just much easier to kind of digest that information. So we'll definitely have to have to link that in the show notes. One other thought on that topic. The Redux Toolkit docs are currently written under the, especially the tutorials are written under the assumption that you do already know what Redux is how to, and how to write <laughs> that code by hand. But... I'm actually working on changing that assumption in general. You know, we, we now recommend that people use Redux Toolkit as the default syntax for writing Redux code. And so along with that, a lot of people have, have noted that the core Redux documentation, like if you look at the existing tutorial sequence, it's like, here's a to-do app, here's a Reddit app, go have fun, bye. And there's not really any good real world examples in the docs themselves. So I actually spent the first half of this year working on a brand new tutorial sequence for the Redux docs that I've dubbed the Redux Essentials tutorial. And it has a few different goals. Uh, one is that it is, a, it is more focused on a top-down, here is the right way to use it approach to learning Redux, whereas the existing tutorial sequence is bottom-up, kind of here's how it works. Another is that it does teach Redux Toolkit and the React Redux Hooks API as the default standard way to write Redux code. The demo application that it builds is a small social media type app that demonstrates some CRUD type behavior. And it also has a a good amount of explanation for like, why does Redux exist? When does it make sense to use it? And so like it's, 
the intent is that someone could read through that and start building some kind of a meaningful app using Redux Toolkit without necessarily knowing all the details of what is actually going on behind the scenes. Now, Redux Toolkit certainly does work best if you understand how to write that code by hand so that you know what those abstractions are doing for you. But my goal was that you should be able to use it without necessarily knowing what's going on under, under the hood. Yeah, I mean, that, that's like our favorite thing, right? As JavaScript developers, we just, it just works. We don't need to know how, let's just keep moving. <laughs> I got tickets to close. I got users to, yep. users to make happy, you know, <laughs> so you just get out of our way. <laughs> like, yeah, so that's really great. So Mark, I want to get on, get back to like the age old problem again of, of, of yeah, this, boy, here ever we go since again. this kind of, this, this, this paradigm came out, right? Application state management, what lives mm. where? Now we have React. Now we have Apollo client, you know, we have, uh, you know, just all these just, I think, competing uh, things, which really make it very difficult for, I would say, the average person who's coming in uh, to a new project who needs to make some decisions. Like there's a lot of research and contextual knowledge and there's just like there's a missing manual here um, of like, you know, what to do when and what to use when and something that's like objective because uh, in the sense that. I think it should be objective because it's not about trying to get people to use this tool versus that tool. It's about making sure that you're using the right tool for the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Exactly. And ultimately, yeah. that's what it comes down. That's what it always comes down to. Like, quite frankly, as much as I love Redux, if I find another tool that meets my needs in a better way, like by all means, I'll abandon, you know. But that day is yet to come. Careful, Mark. He's gonna <laughs> jump ship on you. <laughs> That day is yet to come, people, you know, but when it does, it'll be exciting. And I will embrace that with open arms because quite frankly, like the web is, is a very unforgiving place, right? Like you, you got like, it leaves no person behind, like no person, it leaves, I said, actually maybe it leaves many people behind, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you need to adopt and you need to change and be, and adopt, yeah, in order to kind of stay current. (laughs) Yeah, new tools, sure. Did you say moo tools? No, or he said moo tools. tools. I, said, I said moo tools. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, it's funny that moo tools rhymes with new t- new tools, right? That's ironic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is ironic. Um, but anyways, so, so can we talk about that real quick? Because really, I mean, we could do a whole episode on this, and maybe we should in the future. But really, like, what are what are some kind of guiding principles? Because I have heard you say, you know, you do not need to use Redux if you have X, Y, Z, right? Like, for example, if you already have an, an app that does that uses Apollo for data fetching, you don't need to bring in Redux to do data fetching, you know. And people's code is always in, like, various states, right? Like, so, I, you know, they're always adopting tools at various stages in their application lifecycle. And so there's just, uh, yeah. Anyways, I'm, 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 I'm done ranting. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. So I, I am a, a huge proponent of, of a couple of specific ideas. One is that you should always try to understand what problems a specific tool is trying to solve. And part of that is what is the time and the context and the reason why this tool was even invented in the first place. And another is that you need to understand exactly what problems you are trying to solve in your own application right now and pick the tools that solve your problem best, not because someone else said you should use them, not because they're popular, but because this is what works best for me in this particular situation. 
So in the case of Redux, it was invented as an implementation of the Flux architecture, which was in turn created to deal with limitations people had found in event trigger-based state management, like Backbone specifically. So I set user.firstName, it triggers a quote name, you know, change first name event. Some other code's listening to that, it triggers another event. Next thing you know, you're like 15 events down one big synchronous call stack, and you have no idea why this happened in the first place. That's what Flux was invented to solve. And Redux basically perfected that particular approach. And that was the problem people were, were trying to solve in 2015. Now, it also happens that because React Redux used the old-style React Context API from its beginning, using Redux in a React app also kind of happened to somewhat accidentally solve another common problem, which is that, A, many different parts of my app need to use the same state at the same time, and I would normally have to lift that state up maybe all the way to the to the root app component in order for many components to share the data. But if I do that, I would then have to prop drill and pass that data as props through every level of the component tree, which is a royal pain. And so using Redux with React let people sidestep that issue. And that is a reason why many people picked Redux in 15, 16, 17. Well, with React 16.3, React came out with a new improved context API, which unlike the old one, was recommended for production usage from the day it came out. And the only purpose of context is to act as a dependency injection mechanism scoped to some portion of your subtree where you say, here is a value and any portion of that component subtree can ask to read the value. That's literally all it does. And so if the only thing you needed to do with Redux was avoid passing data as props through 15 levels of your, of your components, well, that's literally what context was invented to do. And so if that's all you need, then context, you don't have to add Redux just to get that capability. Use context instead. Now, the, I'll, I'll go off on a specific point here. I am constantly seeing people compare, should I use context or should I use Redux? And they seem to think that context itself is a state management system. It's not. It's a dependency injection mechanism. And you can put whatever value you want in context. And most often, you are the one managing that state in a React component with the use state hook or the use reducer hook. And you're the one deciding where the state lives, handling how to update it, and then putting the value into context for distribution. So yeah, use reducer plus use context together kind of make up a state management system. And that one is more equivalent to what Redux does with React. But context by itself is not a state management system. And on the flip side, almost everyone is needing to cache some server state in their apps. You know, let's, let's go fetch some data on our users and our posts and our comments and then display them. And traditionally, you know, that's, that's been done by like REST APIs and whatnot. But, you know, these days we have GraphQL 
And while not everyone is using GraphQL, a lot of people are. And while GraphQL by itself is just a data transfer protocol, here's how I format my request, here's how I format my response, the assumption is you're probably using a sophisticated client like Apollo Client to manage that data. And Apollo Client has a lot of features built in like handling a normalized cache of all the data. And if I ask for the same thing, it's already there. And it gives you this nice little interface where it's just like use query and it gives you back data is loading error in your component so you can decide what to render. And so similarly, if the only thing you were doing with Redux was storing cached data from the server, and you choose to use GraphQL, and you choose to use Apollo Client, then you've just fulfilled the use case that you were previously choosing to use Redux for. And for that situation, you don't need Redux. Similarly, uh, there's there's a, new, a couple new libraries, um, SWR and React Query, which do the same kind of thing, but focused around more of a REST API. It's just, here's my URL, fetch it, give me back data is loading error, and they cache the stuff officially and can kind of share it some. And again, if that's the only thing you were doing with Redux and you choose to use these other tools, then they replace that use case and you don't really need Redux at that point. On the other hand, while you can do some limited bits of client state management with Apollo or maybe with React Query, that's really not the use cases they were meant for. So the way I would distinguish it is, Redux is a very generic state management tool that can be used for a broad array of use cases. So, you know, caching state from a server, UI state, other complex data management on the client. But it's probably not going to be the best or most efficient tool at any of those use cases. Other tools like React Query or Apollo are much more specialized for the specific case of data fetching. So you can do many things with Redux. It might not be quite the best at all of them, but you can do lots of different things. You can do server cache caching with Apollo and React Query. They're going to be very good at those, but you can't do some of these other things. So it's really a question of what specific problems are you trying to solve? What problems do these tools solve? And where's the overlap between those? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, we, this is such a deep topic, really. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And it's really nice to see how like the ecosystem has also evolved, I think, to kind of specialize in areas of state management, I think, which is kind of also nice. But I, I, I would say that I think we're all kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think Redux and the patterns from the Flux architecture in general have really paved the way for just saner state management overall. You know, So I'd say um, it's just very exciting it's very exciting to see where we, how far we've come. Even just the existence of the Redux dev tools basically is table stakes at this point. Like mm-hmm. if you're introducing a new right. library, you either have to have your own dev tools or find a way to integrate your library with the Redux dev tools as a baseline. And, and I've seen lots of libraries try to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I mean, what is it, uh, Jared? Raise the tide for all boats. That's Am right. I saying it correctly? The rising tide raises yeah. all ships. The rising, t- yes, thank you. There we go. There uh, much go. better. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Mark. absolutely, awesome. Mark. You have definitely, I think, ra- rised the tide. I don't know. I don't know how you <laughs> rise the tide. But rised. 
We we English good. We English good Just around kidding. here. That's why we podcast. Um, <laughs> we're thankful to you for coming on JS Party, Sharon. You have an amazing amount of depth of knowledge about not just Redux, but application architecture. Thanks so much for sharing it with us and for all the work you do, the often thankless work of answering people's questions on the internet. We're here to thank you on their behalf. Mm -hmm. uh, that is Appreciate super cool. It, yeah. What's the best way folks can hook up with you and maybe tap your wisdom and maybe say thanks for uh, all the work you do on Redux and in the community? Sure. Uh, so I my blog is at blog.isquaredsoftware.com. Uh, I've got a lot of React and Redux and some other stuff on there as well. Probably my most popular recent post was a 6,000-word treatise on how React rendering behavior works. Like, when does React re-render? What stops React from rendering? How do you optimize it? How do context and React Redux interact with that? Uh, I, I also just put up a couple new posts in the last couple of days with some bits of coding career advice on things that I've found useful in my career as a developer. Uh, one post was on the value of keeping a daily work journal, and another was some tips for how to correctly evaluate third-party libraries and software tools. So lots and lots of writing on my blog. Uh, I'm pretty much active on Twitter at, at AceMarkey. Uh, also in the Reactiflux Discord chat channels, same handle. Uh, I'm, I'm generally either at AceMarkE or at Mark Erickson in various places on the internet. Yeah. You know, Mark, I, I'm doing a talk for uh, at NodeConfU on dependency management at scale. And that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about is the, the rubrics that I use for when I'm picking packages. And so I, I, I'm now going to add your blog as a, as a list of resources for my talk. So thanks for that. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Absolutely. I did find that one, a mostly complete guide to React rendering. All the links to all the things are in the show notes for your clicking enjoyment. Thanks so much for listening. That's Jay's party for this week. Hey, stay tuned next week. It's our big front end feud game show. It's going to be an extravaganza. You don't want to miss it. Comment on this and every episode of JS party on changelog.com. Just pop open your show notes, click the discuss on changelog news link and let us know what you think. Of course, you can chat with us in real time during the show as well. Join for free at changetalk.com slash community and hop in the JS Party channel of our community Slack. Thanks again to Mark Erickson for joining the show, to Amel Hussein for co-hosting with me, to Breakmaster Cylinder on music, Fastly on bandwidth, Linode on hosting, and Rollbar on bugs. And thanks to you for listening. We appreciate your time. That's all for now. Front End Feud next week. developers love um, I would say no code right like in the sense that like less code is good what developer likes <laughs> more so code I, I nobody okay. but like sometimes it's all that's the Java folks okay <laughs> I was waiting sometimes, for that one yeah uh, no no sometimes serve sometimes, that up on a platter like, more code is yeah I feel like sometimes more code is like 
So brevity is the soul of wit, but it's not necessarily the soul of readability. It's not, or maintainability, right? right. That's the thing. It's, right. it's exactly really, it. It's really easy to over abstract, and I've been guilty of that. That's, thank before. you. Thank you. That's exactly it. All right. So All right. it'd be good to get into that. And then obviously some of the, some of the superpowers that you've built into re, a Redux toolkit, like yeah. the fact that it's supercharged, but it, there's also rails, like anyways. Okay. Love it. So Amel, can you re-say that? Uh, work, work on the brevity side. Tighten it up. Okay. I'll work on the brevity side. We'll, we'll okay, start cool. the show. And I'll just say, you know, right. go, and then we'll you go. you open yeah. that back up, and we'll just go as if it's not. We didn't just say it out loud; we can just say it on the show. Okay? Yeah, yeah, say it on the show. Yes. All right, go. I hate almost all code.